0: So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com.
1: Hey, a little treat for all you guys today. We're going to have a roundtable discussion, and we're going to be talking Rays, Lightning, and Bucks all at once with Mark Topkin, who covers the Rays, and Diana Neros, who covers the Lightning, both for the Tampa Bay Times, are going to join me to update you on the status of their teams and the leagues and some stories that they have been working on in and out of their specific beats, as well as some things they've discovered while they've all been socially distancing. So Mark Topkin, Diana Neros, and myself will begin our roundtable discussion in just a minute. Tomorrow on the podcast, we're going to have Tom Jones, my former colleague at the Tampa Bay Times and Long I'm radio partner he's uh, now with the pointer institute he'll be aboard and then uh, later this week uh, remember we're always going to have the uh, popular mailbag segment so you don't have to wait till the middle of the week to submit your questions just do that on twitter at sports Day TV, or my uh, twitter handle is at NFL Stroud, or you can reach me online at rstroud at tampabay.com okay before we get to mark and diana uh just a little uh, sad news in the nfl of course by now you guys have probably heard don Shula the winningest coach in NFL history, Miami Dolphins coach, also you know, with the Baltimore Colts before that, has died at the age of 90 and uh, what a life this guy led and and what a uh, an iconic figure in in football. Obviously the most wins is saying something, but beyond that just sort of the way he did it. And I've, you know, I had the occasion, I was fortunate uh, sort of when I was beginning the NFL beat was was towards the the end of Don Shula's career. And I can remember um, specifically one year. Uh, you know, he was sort of under fire at the end. Jimmy Johnson was going to come in. There was a lot of rumors and stories, and it was it was sort of sad to see guys like him and Tom Landry and Chuck Noll kind of go out at the same time. People alleging that the game had passed him by. I assure you, it did not. Um, but I was at his last game. They played in Buffalo in a wild card game. Got beat pretty handily, I think, by a couple of touchdowns by the Bills. Uh, up there at Rich Stadium in Buffalo and it was a freezing cold day and it just seemed um sort of not fitting right for for a legend of the game like that to go out on uh just a, a very nondescript performance. The Marino was a quarterback, but they just they weren't very good on defense that year and they barely made the playoffs at 9 and 7. Uh and then the next year of course uh, is when Tony Dungy came aboard in Tampa Bay in 96 and he hired Don Shula's son, Mike, to be his offensive coordinator. Mike Shula had been with the Bears as a quarterback's coach. And so Don Shula came around quite a bit those uh, next couple of years. I think Mike was here for three seasons, um, or maybe four, went all the way to the 99 NFC Championship game and got fired after that at the Pro Bowl, of all things. But Don Shula was uh, was a kind of a Bucks fan there for a while and was very uh, generous to Tony Dungy, who uh, coached the team. It was his first head coaching job, and... Um, you know, he sort of, as Tony, I talked to him uh, just the other day and he said, you know, I'm kind of a, kind of a third generation Don Shula, you know, disciple in a way because Tony played and coached for Chuck Knoll. Well, Chuck Knoll, uh was the defensive coordinator for the Baltimore Colts under Don Shula. So a lot of the same principles and things, uh, that Tony Dungy believed in that he got from Chuck Noll actually came from Don Shula. So he has... Had a, a huge impact on the game of football, and certainly if you're if you're from Florida um, or anywhere in the state at all, you know the NFL came to Miami first. I mean, the Bucs didn't arrive until 1976, so before that, uh, Miami, what you know, the Dolphins were uh, Florida's team. There was no Jacksonville Jaguars, no Tampa Bay Bucks, and so um, everybody rallied around the Dolphins, and and that was statewide. And of course. Uh Shula got them going you know after he left Baltimore and losing to the Jets and Joe Namath he goes into Miami and he turns that thing around they go to three Super Bowls they win two of them and of course the 17 and 0 season in 1972 which he was always been extremely proud that he uh, he achieved perfection in a sport where it's very very hard to do and, and in fact haven't hasn't been done since but a good businessman you know Shula Steakhouse took off I think his son David helps run that at one point, David was the uh, head coach of the Cincinnati Bengals. You remember that, Steve, years ago. And, and um, you know, I think in, in 95, in mm-hmm. fact, I went up to Cincinnati. I think I spent like 10 days in Ohio, believe it or not. But I went up to Cincinnati as part of a trip that I was doing, and Don Shula played his son David, and uh, and Don beat him. Uh, the Miami Dolphins were better that year. David didn't have a long career with the Bengals, but yeah. he was a head coach there. Mm-hmm. And I was in Birmingham when Mike Shula was uh, coaching Alabama. That's as well, right. So. That's right. Mike yeah. Mike had quite a career and Mike was the offensive coordinator with Carolina when they went 15 and 1 and Cam Newton uh went to a Super Bowl and they lost uh to the Denver Broncos. So uh quite a family and uh and he was always gracious and he was uh he was hard now. His players hated him when they were playing for him at the time cuz he was really tough um you know, but I mean the the number of coaches that have that have come through uh, Shula's tree uh, is just phenomenal. Well, and the number of players that uh, love him now—I mean, oh yeah—you know, it's kind of—you it know—reminds me locally of Tortorella, who, yes, you know, how many yes. players hated playing for him, but now love him and understood that he made them better yes. players. He helped them mm-hmm. get to championships and get to the levels that they that they achieved. Right. That they wouldn't have right. done it without him. Right. No, and 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 you hear Larry Zonko, you hear those guys talk about him. They all. Speak so highly of him, and they all came to have you know a, a different relationship with him. Obviously, when they were done playing, than when they when they weren't. But he was always around. Like he loved football. He wasn't one of these guys that sort of okay, I'm done coaching. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to be around it. He was a he was a real fan of the game, and you know, a hall of famer, obviously. Um, but he tried to make as many events as many Super Bowls as he could, and he had time for everybody. Like he never. You know, you could never not approach him. He was one of the most approachable guys, uh, I think, in the NFL. And, um, you know, just uh, we saw him a few times in Tampa, of course, after he was done uh, coaching because he was a fan of the Bucks. And he, I remember him saying how much Mike Allstott reminded him of Larry Zonka and, you know, that sort of thing. But uh, really uh, really, an amazing life that, that Don Shula had. And uh, turned 90, I think, in January, 90 years old. Um, but, yeah, Don Shula.
0: in a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today.
1: All right, so this will be fun. We're going to try something here, a little roundtable with uh, myself, of course, and Diana Niros, who covers the Tampa Bay Lightning, and Mark Topkin joins us as well Who covers the Tampa Bay Rays? Guys, it's uh, been a minute since we've all been in the same room, but it's nice to have us all on the same podcast uh, at this point. And I kind of wanted to start out just getting a a feel for you guys and your particular beats, Um, sort of the discussions you've had with players. I mean, obviously, uh, this is a a, a very unusual time. Uh, You know, in the case of the NHL, the season has been interrupted, which is a whole new deal. Uh, The Rays would be uh, well into their, uh, you know, going into their second month now. Uh, and haven't played you know really since uh when it was interrupted in march and of course the bucks have the longest runway but mark let's start with you um you know as far as what what should be happening now is is the regular season but the players dispersed you've got you know g-man Choi. the last time i checked one of your stories is still was in south korea i mean how are how are they maintaining any kind of semblance of shape or, or what sort of what are their expectations right now as far as trying to stay ready for a season that hasn't begun.
2: Well, I think in the Rays case, they're kind of taking a hands-off approach in the sense that they're they're letting the players kind of do what they want. They were they seem pretty uh, adamant the front office and the coaching staff of not, you know, mandating uh specific workouts or specific drills to guys. They're kind of just leaving them on their own to stay in shape. I mean, Blake Snell for example, I mean, he's been playing more video games than he's been pitching. He he you know, <laughs> he just won their championship, uh, the players' league championship and and talking to him about that, you know, naturally segued into what his workouts have been. And he said he's really not throwing much at all. He's playing catch a couple of days a week. He hasn't thrown off a mound at all. No bullpen sessions, uh, mostly just fastballs when he's playing catch, mixes in a few breaking balls just for the grip. But, you know, this huh. guy who's really, really focusing, he said, just on rest, endurance, stamina kind of workouts and you know, doing those things, but not really throwing have other guys. Uh, Brandon Lau, for example, who who, uh, by marrying a former NCAA Division I college softball player, his wife Madison, is taking almost regular batting practice in their garage. They're using like sponge uh, rubber balls, but she throws to him and he takes regular cuts. So I think you've kind of got a a spectrum of of what guys are doing. You mentioned G-Man is in South Korea. Yoshi Tsutsugo went home to Japan. He's still quarantined from what I can tell um, from going back there. But guys are just doing things at their own level. I mean, I I don't know what secret location Tyler Glasnow was using, but he put a video of himself on social media the other day throwing at an indoor facility somewhere that looked to be current because he still had the shaggy hair. So uh, Hmm. I think guys are at their own level. And and the Rays are kind of taking the approach that when baseball does come back, and there is momentum building toward that, which I'm sure we'll talk about in a minute here, but that there will be a a couple-week warning of like, hey, they'll get told – a, on this day, hey, in two or three weeks, plan on being in your camp. So they'll have time to ramp up their workouts. And at that point, I think things will get a little more organized, a little more serious.
1: And, Diana, I mean, obviously it's totally different for hockey because you can't, in Florida and probably other places, go out and skate. You can't stay in sort of hockey shape, if you will. Um, but we did see a story that you wrote where Stephen Stamkos is able to do it for from rehab purposes, so what what are these guys doing, and how interrupted this must be to have played nearly the the regular season, uh, and then they'll need some sort of training camp to get ready for what what they hope will be a Stanley Cup playoffs.
0: Yeah, it's uh, hard to wrap your head around even at this point the idea that they've now been sitting for what are we at two months, and then yeah. it's gonna be like, hey, let's get back into the season. So yeah, Stamkos and Jan Ruda have been skating because injured players had access to the ice throughout um, from the start of the pause. Um, Everyone else is trying to figure it out. Some guys are rollerblading. Um, Braden Coburn said rollerblading is more of a mental thing of he's putting his foot in a boot and lacing up um, Mm -hmm. more than it's mirroring the effect of ice skating. Um, some guys are just like, Hey, I'm going to take what I can get and this is what I can get. Um, so rollerblading, whether it's a adequate substitute or not is a substitute. Um, but yeah, there's just really not much you can do about it. And so, um, there have been different estimates on what kind of training camp they'll need, uh, but at least a few weeks. The league has talked about trying to do small groups of skaters, so it would not be a full-team practice. But, you know, whatever number it would be would depend on regulations in given areas, and the league's trying to keep that even. So things change by the day, but it sounds like, you know, say – they'd go by the lowest common denominator, whatever that is, whatever state is allowed 10 people, then you can have 10 people for your small group sessions, um, you know, across the board, uh, I believe is what they're talking about. So that that would be kind of like the ramp up that Mark's referring to, to get in shape would just be, you know, you can skate in small groups before you can have practices. So that's really all they can do. Um, Guys, players uh, raided the team gym, Um, When the pause first happened, they delivered bikes and weight racks and, you know, all kinds of stuff to players' houses so that they could be using them. Um, I forget which player it was used the term uh, maintenance plus as far as Hmm. what they were trying to do for their bodies. You know, trying to maintain what they had um, a little more than you would do like off-season workouts, but it's really not in-season workouts. You don't even weight train that much in-season um, so it's just, it's entirely new to everyone. Nobody went into this and was like, oh, we know how to handle a two-month break in the middle of the season for our bodies. So it's a lot of trial and error right now.
1: Yeah. And and like Mark's, uh, you know, got an international team too. I mean, these guys are from all over the world. So have most of them sort of stayed in the United States, if not the Tampa Bay area?
0: Most of them have stayed in the Tampa Bay area. Um, I, they have homes here. They were already set up here with their families. Um, you know, I think part of the difference with the, the Rays hadn't established themselves in Tampa Bay area yet. They were still in training mm-hmm. camp, and so maybe their families were here. I don't know where they all lived during training camp, so correct me if I'm wrong, Mark, but that was my impression, whereas most of the Lightning players, you know, it's it's a thing to move back to their off-season homes, and so they didn't really either want to deal with that or maybe just because they had the training equipment here might have played into it the weather here might have played into it i don't know but most of the lightning players did um stay in this area um throughout this pause well
2: and i, and I think there's also a question uh, at least in some of the guys cases and in, in, in both sports probably as to what the travel rules are going to be as far as getting back mm-hmm. you know right. i i think one of the the discussions, I didn't hear this directly, but indirectly is that, you know, with having Choi in South Korea and Tsutsugo in Japan, the Rays have to be a little bit more proactive in their thinking because they may be under a situation where even when they get back, they may have to have a 14-day quarantine. So do they need to get them back, you know, even a couple weeks ahead of when they think they might want to have them back just in case. And, you could have some of the similar situations with some of the European players on the Lightning. So uh, there's just, as Diana said, and, and Rick, I, I know it's a little different for the, the Bucks at this point, but there's just so many things that there is no playbook for. There is no script for. There are no right or wrong answers. It's, it's guesswork and anticipation. I mean, somebody told me that MLB has 20 plans and there's variations of each plan. I mean, it's just ridiculous as to, to what, you know, what the thought process has to be and how they have to encompass every possible scenario. You, know, you mentioned
0: international travel. Um, sorry, Rick. Just I saw a no, quote from um, Justin Trudeau today, who said that they are not at a point when they've figured out with the NHL of um, getting players across the Canadian-U.S. border within North America. So even that has not yet been figured out how to manage that closed border, um, never mind bringing players over from Europe. So you're right, Mark, that's a huge question mark of how to proceed from this point forward, especially for these international um, leagues we cover.
1: Okay, so like all sports, there's going to be a logistical hurdle that everybody has to get over to reconvene. I've talked to a couple players. There are a few players, uh, Mark and Diana, that, that are a little a little nervous, right? I mean, testing will be a big part of this. Um, and they can't take it away from the general public, so we'll have to see how that goes. If they develop something that's saliva or a pinprick or something they can create this safe zone. But I've a couple of players have told me they're a little nervous about being exposed. Um, you know, when they come back together to coronavirus, some people are asymptomatic. Have you gotten any of that uh, from from any of the people you've talked to about you know wh- whether safety is a concern?
0: I haven't heard it from people directly, but there's definitely some mumble rumbles around um, to mm-hmm. that effect. I think it especially comes from those who have been closer to people who have had COVID-19 and especially have had um, less mild cases, whether they're truly severe or just, you know, whatever that middle ground is. Um, people who've been closer to see what that looks like, I think are more, Uh, conscious of what the risks are and you know, it's hard because what do you do? You call players back and maybe some aren't comfortable. And how do you, how do you manage that? Do You just say tough. We're starting, get here. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, some of the players have said they're just so desperate for hockey that they'll take it. Some don't want to be away from their family for multiple months, whether or not they're exposed to something. So there are definitely some concerns um, around that and i don't know if any of the leagues have an answer to how they're going to handle that yet.
2: Yeah, and i think where the the kind of the tipping point of that's going to be is the players will go through the union and the union will have to kind of be the quote unquote bad guy in that because there's a machismo mode of sports that we all know happens and you know no one's going to want to be the one player who says, "Oh, i don't want to go. I'm not convinced it's going to be safe yet if everyone else is saying they want to go back or the majority are." But i think that's where the players union uh, in all the sports, is going to be very, very important in, in kind of telling the league, so I'll pump the brakes here a little. We need to be sure, as you said, about the testing. We need to be sure about, you know, what the the uh, standards are going to be for travel. We're going to need to be sure what the, the guarantees are for families if they need to travel. You know, are they going to, let's say, uh, the current baseball plan, at least the, most, the current one as of now, by the time this airs in a few hours, it could change, but is to have most teams in their home stadiums uh, still have league travel, you know, charter plane, charter buses, uh, obviously very you know high standards for the hotels they stay in. But what about families that want to come along? Are they going to let them come with the team and risk having a wider circle of travel? Or are they going to let the players, if they have families that need to come into town, are they going to pay for private planes for them? I mean, there's so many things that are just going to come up through this. And, and I think health and safety is going to be a major factor in all
1: of them. And I mean, it's- I know the NFL, you know, again, with the longest runway, but they're committed to trying to have fans, right? And w- whatever form that takes. And so they're they're further down the road. They may have to delay the season even further. But, you know, that's $100 million per team in revenue, right? I haven't heard that much talk about fans in the case of the NHL, if they were to resume and play the Stanley Cup uh, playoffs, and then in baseball, at least maybe at the start mark. So... Have have any of the players talked about the prospects of playing in empty arenas and just have they ever experienced that at all? Have there been games or or instances where, where they've had to compete like that?
2: Well you're not gonna make the same raise joke that everyone on Twitter makes, right? No, no, I'm not. I mean, that's no the cheap one. Normally. Yeah, okay. right. Okay. think um, think the players i talked to All kind of have the same attitude, and I'll be curious to see what Diana's heard from the hockey guys, but it sounds like with the baseball players, it's like they think it sucks, they're not excited about it, yet on the other hand, if that's the way to come back, they're really excited about it. They realize that that's kind of one of those cost of doing business type things, and they're going to have to play. I talked to a couple of the guys that are playing in Korea, a couple of the local guys, and they start up uh, Tuesday night here, the 5th. And, you know, they said they've had exhibition games and it's really weird. It's hard to focus. Casey Kelly, Sarasota kid, first round pick a few years ago. He said it's really hard to trick yourself into realizing these games are going to count because your your attitude is making you think they don't count. There's nobody there. There's no music. There's no excitement. There's no adrenaline. There's nothing, but they have to get used to that. So I think it's going to be yet another part of this. But I think the players are going to just have to kind of figure out how to deal with it.
0: You know, everyone uh, we talk to on the Lightning has been asked about that, and they all kind of say, you know, basically it'll suck, but we'll figure it out because exactly what Mark just said, you know, all the atmosphere that comes from all of that. and You know, when you think of playoff atmosphere and it's the heightened emotions in the arena, I think the reason we haven't heard the league, anyone pushing for it the way you have with the NFL is that uh, long runway, as you said. You know, the NHL needs to do this much faster. Um, You know, it's funny, actually, Riley Smith, who currently plays for Vegas, said, I used to play in an empty building for a couple of years in Florida, so I'm used to it. He's a former Panther. Um, So that was also a comment he made back before the pause about possibly empty arenas. But uh, So there have been some jokes made around the NHL, um, but they mostly just see it as an inevitability of, of, you know, the NFL can wait for the fall. The NHL probably can't wait as long, um, not because they've prioritized next season and having fans for next season and having a full season. So the, they can't push this season back so far that they cannot get in enough games for next year. Uh, you think about the, the lockout year was started in January and they played 42. Two forty-eight, forty-eight 48 48 games um and that was starting in january so if you start in november december to play 82 games that's going to be tough and they're going to need that revenue from having fans for at least for next season so i think they're just seeing it as a uh, necessary evil and that's why you're not hearing a lot about you know trying to do something else right now and just kind of it is what it is. It'll be very interesting to see how they do it. Somebody joked that they should uh pipe in some some crowd noise. A la these uh punished teams in um uh was it the Braves? Who did that? But- it was
2: the Falcons oh, in football. Yeah, that was football. Uh, yes. we were,
0: yeah. Right city, wrong sport. I don't know. I can't keep track of everything. But anyways, Point is that, you know, you're right. The atmosphere is going to not be there. Players say that they'll figure it out. They'll find a way to get up for it. It's playoffs. You just have to be able to get up for it. But there's no doubt it'll be very different.
2: There was one thing that was interesting, Rick. Uh, I know you're a big soccer fan and you probably saw this, but uh, there were some plans for some of the European uh, soccer teams when they do restart to put big TV screens in the parking lot and allow fans to sit in their cars and honk their <laughs> horns and, and make noise and create some atmosphere that way. So maybe that'll happen at Ray J if they can't bring in fans.
1: Yeah, you're right about but being The problem with something pro- like uh, that is they're not
0: going to stay in their cars. <laughs> right. You know, you end up with this big party out on the plaza that you've said can't <laughs> be in the arena. And all you're doing is protecting your million – the players you play millions of dollars and not – and putting your fans at risk in the – Exterior of
2: your arena. You don't think a bunch of people sitting in their car drinking adult beverages for a sporting event that they can't fully get to watch are going to follow the rules? Come on.
1: Yeah, right. Just, well, Diane is too young for this, but Mark and I can remember when they had this concept called drive-in movies, and nobody stayed in their cars <laughs> then either. I've been to for drive-in. very long, anyway.
2: Well, They're if like you're, if you're on a date, you might have stayed in your car. right? Yeah, but well, not for very
1: long is what I'm saying. Like, eventually, you know you came up for air um look i this has been a weird time to be a journalist and and I, and I don't know if if people understand sort of um you know a lot of a lot of the news writers and you guys have both done news stories you've done business stories um you've gone on the front lines diana you walked through a mall early in this pandemic and uh, more more uh, bravery to you than than necessarily i would have but um journalists are on the front lines too and yet, um, you know, we cover sports, and that's that's sort of been the thing, right? So, I, I've been amazed. I got to tell you, because I, you know, the NFL doesn't slow down for anybody, and they're lucky they're in their off season, I suppose. So they had their virtual draft, they had the the free agency, and a guy named Tom Brady signed here. Um, and so we've had stuff to do. Yeah, it's amazing. Tom I know. Bra- I know. You-
2: Tom Bra- Bra- Brady. Brady. Yeah, I don't, I, uh, I don't think and I, I heard gro-
1: that. <laughs> no, and then and then he he also got Gronkowski with him, which was just an added bonus. But now, what you're going to um, tell
2: me next? He's staying at Derek Jeter's house.
1: You know, I, he is. In <laughs> fact, and and I think I think now every staffer except I don't know if Diana's been there. We've all been by the house at this point, um, so that we know directions <laughs> there. I had never seen it. I was just curious. I was out there the other day towards Davis Island. And I went. I'm going over the bridge, and I'm going to find this house. And it's a castle. My goodness, it's just it's just an estate, really, on the water. Um, you had a funny story, uh, Mark, I guess. I mean, the back of it, you're familiar with that house before Tom Brady inhabited it. And so it is, the front is well guarded. The back, however, is sort of open to the waterway. You can't, it's international water. You can't really pin the fence up there, right?
2: Yeah, some a friend of mine was over there um, who, who claimed he was over there with his family just in the general area. Mm. and decided to go by because he thought he knew kind of where it was. And this was a couple weeks ago, maybe the first or second week after the Brady's moved in. And he said it was like a boat parking lot out there of people kind of going by and looking and, and poking around a little bit. So there's a little bit of, you know, that... Uh, paparazzi voyeurism that, that people have, and, and you know, there's a new celebrity in town. But I, I do remember hey, you know, Brady Blorn making a comment doc early doc on, doc I think, by. in the, on the so, Howard Stern interview. Uh,
0: it's not just us uh, reporters and fans, uh, you know, other athletes are peeping on them too. Yeah,
2: yeah it's like Plorn, riding Plorn up yeah. <laughs> yeah, No, I was going to say, I, I think there's just a sense of. You know, people have this, this curiosity. And I know Brady made the comment in one of his interviews saying it's a little different that in New England, he lived in a state that kind of had security or seclusion all the way around. And, and obviously, uh, if you live in the biggest house so that there is on the water in the Tampa Bay area and it's not fenced in from the back, people are going to be able to know where it is.
1: Yeah, he wouldn't have gotten of park. Yeah, they're called woods.
0: They're not really a thing here yes. in Florida, but up in New England, <laughs> there are woods. And trees and they're dead like and you can't get through them. Is that
2: another thing? Basement? I've heard that phrase.
1: <laughs> yes. Basement, yes, where you where you dig below. If you dug more than a foot here, you'd get water and that would be everybody would be waterfront. Um you know, it's it, the stories that that you guys have worked on, I mean what what are some of your favorite you know stories, whether it's about the pandemic or something people are doing fun or in the case of Diana, I know she, she did I think a whole cookbook if I'm not mistaken. so <laughs> she's way ahead of all of us when it comes to knowing how to quarantine because um, I assure you I haven't begun to dabble at all in the kitchen. Um, so, so what are some of the things that, uh, that you've written that, that have surprised you or that you thought were really cool stories?
0: I really did write, like writing that one for the taste section. So I, I actually had a cooking column back at my college paper, had not written about food since then, but, um, I used to cook all the time and this job just does not give me time to cook. I'm on the road, I'm at the arena, I'm working late, it just doesn't happen. And so all of a sudden I had time at home in the after, in the evenings and I was like, huh, I can cook food again. And, um, So it was really fun kind of exploring my kitchen um, again and writing that, that piece. I also really liked a piece I wrote for the business section on what different small businesses were doing to kind of reinvent themselves without yeah. in-person customers. Um, I'm a big proponent of small businesses. I make a point to shop local whenever I can. Um, mm-hmm. I get annoyed with family members who rely constantly on Amazon. So writing about how businesses were finding ways to do things was really interesting for me because it kind of gave me ideas on how I can support them. I'm now going over to Tabella on Davis Islands, which is my favorite tea shop, um, just to pick up tea from their contactless pickup where I usually make it at home and I'm still doing that, but just to kind of give them a little bit of something, you know, a couple times a week, um, just to do something. But so that story kind of launched some of those ideas on what I could do, where I wasn't comfortable going in person to places.
2: Well, well next time um, you're over there, make your loop by the Brady. Cheese. Yeah. I was going to say, <laughs> call, <laughs> call, <laughs> call me if you yet. see Maybe
1: Tom you Brady. To see girls. One yeah. of these
2: days, if we all keep circling by, <laughs> I
0: don't know um, if we he's we a tea drinker. Ships. I don't know if it's in the TV 12 <laughs> method. So,
2: <laughs> um, I'm sure yeah, I, mean, I, I I think I've enjoyed a little bit. Rick is kind of branching out and, and, you know, it, it ended up being true but you know the initial story about brady would be boy what if he rented jeter's house was fun to do and um, right got a got a funny reaction from brady himself on the guess who's older than brady kind of story that was a fun (laughs) list to compile (laughs) from him Done some some historical (laughs) stuff as well yeah um and then and then you know from the baseball side um you know, the story talking to the local kids playing in Korea and just spending two days trying to get it figured out what time we were going to call each other to make sure we could do the interviews and all those kind of things. So there, there's been some stuff here. We've done a little bit of historical. We've done a little bit of uh, speculative, a little bit of what guys are doing now. And it's it's just hard to figure out the balance, to be honest with you. And there's been days when I've written a story I thought was really cool and was really happy with, and it didn't seem to get much audience response. And there have been days when other stories that I thought were just so-so got a lot of audience response. So I, I think we're all trying to still, even though two months into this, figure out what people want to read, what they're interested in reading, what they're going to you know, click on and things like that. And ultimately, we all know what they want to read. They want to read the story that says it's time to play hockey again or play baseball again or it's for sure going to play football on the schedule.
0: I don't know about you guys, but... I don't know what to do with the lack of structure. My entire life is scheduled around somebody else's schedule. They tell me when practices. They tell me when games are. I show up when they say we're available. Mm -hmm. And now all of a sudden I'm like nobody's setting – like obviously I'm an adult. I can make a routine. It's fine. But just the difference in how I work when it's set – so set in stone and I have zero control and now all of a sudden it's just so wide open that, that difference, the polar opposites is a little, uh, a little, takes some kind of reorienting your brain.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And I I think that's hard for athletes too, because they're creatures of habit, right? I mean, they, Mm -hmm. they sort of have clocks in their bodies and they know when they're supposed to train. They sort of, you know, also work on schedules of the teams that they belong to um, and so that's been difficult, especially in the case of the Bucks. You know, these guys, some of them didn't even have equipment, you know, and this is like March was a heavy lifting month and or, or April, and they weren't able, you know, some of them were having to just find patches of grass because the parks were closed, as we know. Tom Brady got tossed out. And so it's been disruptive, uh, you know, from an athlete's standpoint because they are, and sports writers have fallen into whatever their schedules are. So so that that part of it, that part of it is tough. That part of it is is a little disruptive. Um, I'm I'm also wondering like the impact the Bucks had in the NFL had their draft right. They did not that nothing changed with that. But Mark, in, in the case of baseball, I mean this thing you know high schools didn't get to play. Some of the college players are coming back now because they got sort of exemptions if they were in spring sports. Uh, I don't Diane. I don't know how hockey is impacted, but generally there's a draft sometime in June. Um, so so, how how is how is the you know sort of the domino effect of this delay impacting players that are below the the major league uh, level?
2: Yeah, I mean in baseball, yeah. it's, it's going to literally be something that's going to be felt for years, and I, I don't think that's in any way an exaggeration. You know, first of all, there's very unlikely to be a traditional minor league season this year. The model of playing with no fans doesn't work in minor league baseball, where, where nearly all the revenue is from. You know, butts in the seats and sponsorships sold because of butts in the seats and and concessions Mm -hmm. and merchandise. So you're going to have lost development time for the vast majority of, you know, 100 plus minor leaguers in every system, Um, probably more like 200 in every system. You know, there may be developmental camps. There's going to be expanded rosters if the major leagues do start playing, but most minor leaguers won't get to play at all this year. You mentioned the draft; it's being cut from 40 rounds to at the most 10 rounds this year. So there's, you know, 30 rounds times 30 kids. Even I can do the math on that. There's 900 more kids that won't get a guaranteed opportunity to play pro ball, or at least the opportunity to sign if they want to. Um, then, because of what you said, Rick, that the colleges are going to allow the uh, spring sport seniors to stay and have another year of eligibility, so there's going to be fewer spots at Division One colleges. So thus, there could be high school kids who thought they were getting an opportunity to D one school, now I have to go to a D two school to maybe trickle down to there. There and then there'll be kids from two to three and three to junior colleges and it's just mm-hmm. gonna impact, you know, kind of the structure for baseball for years in terms of how this works. That bonuses are going to be cut way back for the draft this year, an undrafted guy, so if it ends up being only five or ten rounds, which it will be. You can only sign for $20,000, so you're more likely to stay in school, but you might not have an opportunity to stay in school because your position might not be there no. because there's going to be more guys coming up to play. So yeah. it's just going to be really complicated all the way around.
0: Hockey's not going to be quite that complicated. Um, it is still – it really sucks for guys who didn't get to play for championships this year. Um, juniors, college, that didn't happen. Technically, the AHL playoffs have only been postponed, not canceled, but it Mm. is a major question mark to see what happens with that. The ECHL, which is the next level down, they canceled the rest of their season flat out, um, and they are not able to pay players. The ECHL um, is on a totally different pay model, and players get paid substantially less. Um, That's the, the level where players often need to get summer jobs, especially without the playoffs and extra revenue and bonuses from playoffs, um, or sorry, extra, um, income and bonuses from playoffs, then they definitely need to get a second job. Um, so right now those are guys who need second jobs and all of that second job market doesn't exist. So that has a major effect at that level. As far as the like high level prospects, it's weird But it's not gonna like totally blow things up. Baseball is a spring sport, so it has a much different effect on the college level than hockey, which finished most of their college seasons. I don't believe um, that those players have been invited back for another year of eligibility, so it won't disrupt things that way. Um, It will be interesting to see what happens at especially that ECHL level, as far as if teams will be able to continue. They have scheduled their season at that level, which doesn't really make sense because if the NHL starts late, the NHL feeds players to the AHL, which feeds players to the ECHL. So not really sure what that means for rosters, but they've scheduled their season because they're not trying to make up playoffs at some point and they need games like Mark said, butts and seats, incredibly important. There are no TV games, nothing like that. This is a league I used to cover. So I'm very familiar with it. So, you know, that's going to be very difficult. Um, there are teams that might not survive this Mm. at that level. Um, for sure. It'll be very interesting to see, um, what happens there it's a league where teams change almost by the year you know a couple teams change every year already so it'll be very interesting to see what happens at that league the ahl is more strongly supported by the nhl so i don't believe it'll be as strongly felt there um I, I, it'll be very interesting to see how this goes. Um, unlike the minor leagues in baseball, you know, they're starting their season, so they're going to be totally disrupted for this whole season. But in hockey, you know, the playoffs are disrupted, but we should be okay to have a regular season next year. It's just a matter of when it starts. So not quite as blow it all up as it, uh, Mark just described for baseball.
1: Yeah, there's going to be an economic impact already felt in some of your organizations, Mark. I know you wrote about furloughs. That's happening in the NFL too. Um, I'm certainly uh, sure the NHL uh, could feel uh, economic sting from this going forward. There's no doubt about that. Um, you know, and and that's sort of the next wave of things, right? We don't the unknown. We don't know how that will impact the way the leagues are run, or 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 you know, and, and certainly in the minor leagues, as you mentioned. All right, final thing. <clears throat> I'll let you guys go on this. Give me something that during this uh, sort of self-quarantine when we're when you're not out and about covering your sports, uh, something you've, you've uh, learned or discovered, whether it's a TV show, maybe a good bourbon, you mentioned a nice uh, tea shop that you're going to try at Davis Island. What is it, and I know you cook, Diana, but what is it that you, a guilty pleasure now that you have been able to partake of with just a, a little bit of a different schedule?
0: I don't believe in the phrase guilty pleasure because if it makes you happy, <laughs> uh, then embrace it, but okay. I am living on Alton Brown right now. He is a um, has a show on Food Network and Cooking Channel. Um, it's called Good Eats. It's kind of like half learn to cook, half like science class of why food does that when you cook it. I loved it. Um, Years ago, when the first round was a thing, he is now doing live shows with his wife of them cooking dinner once a week, and it's appointment TV for my fiancé and I. It is like our only TV through quarantine. He games, I read. We do not watch Tiger King or anything else, but I'm (laughs) living on Alton Brown.
1: (laughs) Alton Brown, okay. Okay. And you, Mark, what are you doing besides uh, when you're not watching the set sunset over your beautiful condo?
2: <laughs> I have been uh, taking a lot of photos of sunsets. That's true. Uh, it's, this is going to be kind of counterintuitive and incredibly uncool to say, but uh, probably have actually watched a couple of shows on network TV that I typically mm. had never heard about or known about or paid attention to or that you know my wife might have watched and because I was never yeah. home and always at night games. Uh, and actually found out there's a couple of decent shows uh, on network TV that we've watched. And the other thing I'll put out there, and hopefully she's in the other room and isn't hearing this, is I'll say it politely, a greater appreciation for couples who work at home together on a regular basis. Because that's something yes. we've never yes. really even been on much of the same schedule with her being an elementary school teacher right? Uh, for most of my time. So it's been uh, eye-opening and interesting and, and nothing bad. But definitely interesting in seeing how two people... Uh, work at home at the same time all the time and and how people who have that arrangement normally deal with it. So it's been interesting.
1: Yeah, it's been an adjustment for us too. My wife and I working at home with kids and the self-schooling is interesting. I, on the other hand, have um, decided to begin biking, which I've never really enjoyed all that much, but I found that since my body is in such bad shape, I can't run anymore. And, uh, you know, it's a, it's not like I need a better equipment, I think, but like, I'm like that guy now with the giant calves on the commercial on TV. Like it, it's, it's actually kind of therapeutic. Like working out feels good again, but it's, it's also scary as hell in Florida, because if you don't get to a trail, um, <laughs> these people are one drop cell phone away from ending your life. And that's the other thing I discovered. Like it's really dangerous to try to bike around here. So make sure you drive your bike. Which is weird, right? It's kind of, I got a bike, but I got to drive my bike to a trail so I'm safe on the trail. And uh, But even then, I found that a lot of these cyclists go really fast because they got this great equipment and it's like 30 miles an hour. They whiz by you. And the slightest little, like if you steer just a little bit out of line and you don't see them from behind, they will run over you and you will get splattered as if you were in a car. So um, it's both dangerous and thrilling and, and rewarding at the same time. So that's been my... Uh, that's, that's been my vocation when I haven't been, haven't been covering Tom Brady. Well, this has been great, guys. I appreciate all the knowledge. I hope people enjoy uh, the different perspectives of, of the pro leagues that we've got going on here. And, uh, you know, hopefully we get to see each other again and, and there will be the NHL playoffs and Major League Baseball will start. And then somewhere down the road, uh, of course, there will be football and hopefully a Super Bowl as well. So I appreciate it, guys. Stay safe and uh, we will root for a, a conclusion of this uh, of this pandemic so we can all start writing about uh, the things we love. All
0: right. Sounds good, Rick. Anytime. Thanks, guys.
1: All right, always fun to get together with those guys. We'll have to do that again. I kind of like that format where you just kind of kick it around like we uh, like we do as boys and girls in the, in the newsroom, and um, that was kind of fun. Uh, hope to see those two guys one day face-to-face again. That would be nice. Tomorrow, Tom Jones, my longtime partner, radio partner, and, of course, he was at the Tampa Times as a columnist, now with the Pointer Institute, will join us on the podcast on Wednesday. So for Steve Burstink, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Times. Have a great day, everybody.
0: ACAST powers the world's
1: best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend.